Well, I can't say greet one another. You can look at one another if you want to. You know, my heart's kind of broken because normally Christmas Eve, we have a 10 o'clock brunch with all the folks in church that kind of are going to be alone and they look so forward to it. And then we kind of do one, four, and seven. All the services are packed out and we have communion and it's just my favorite services of the year. But this year we are unable to do the breakfast because of the pandemic. And uh, we're doing the four services to try to spread us out a little without communion. So uh, I'm trusting that Jesus is going to have our hearts regardless. And isn't it wonderful to gather, you know? I mean, I think the world is so crazy uh, between the pandemic and politics and, and businesses closing down and telling us you can't worship, you can't sing. I mean, it's so crazy that this kind of brings some normalcy to us, doesn't it? And I think that's healthy for us. It's healthy for God's people. So uh, God bless you guys. You can be seated. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you brought your Bible, you're going to you right. turn there, familiar territory. Father, we ask as we look into these things today that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. In this uh, this day that you've always known, Lord, you've chosen us for such a time as this. And Lord, we were surprised when we got here. You weren't, Lord. And uh, you, your genius is all around us in, in what's happening in, in politics and globalism and everything, Lord, the pandemic. Uh, we believe all of these things are bringing us home. And Lord, we ask today as we have privilege to gather, Lord, in part and look into your word that you would give us our portion, Lord. And we trust you to do that, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, very familiar passage. I'll read through it and we'll kind of look at it maybe from a different angle. It says, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David which is Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Not just afraid, sore. That's really afraid. Afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, three things, now the angel says, a Savior, 
Then he says, which is Christ, these are Jewish shepherds, a savior which is Messiah. And then he says it's Messiah, the Lord, Kurios. In the Greek, he's used that word Luke 18 times already in the first two chapters, always referring to Jehovah in the prophecies of the Old Testament. Now he refers to the babe and says, this is Savior, Messiah, Jehovah. That's a remarkable statement, particularly these Jewish shepherds. And this shall be literally the sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, myriads, tens of thousands of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass... Now, that'll give you a cardiac, by the way, not just one angel, tens of thousands. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone, literally they faded upward, these multitudes, from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord, notice, hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. We know that simply because Dr. Luke had interviewed her and she told him that or we wouldn't have known. Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard, notice, and seen as it was told them. That's the babe in the manger, seen as it was told them. So we have this remarkable picture here. Certainly we're familiar with it. Uh, The chapter starts giving us the timing. Then verses 6 and 7 tell us about the birth itself, that it was time for her. She was great with child. Verse 6 uses a, a structure called polysyndonin, I mean verse 7, where it uses the word and, 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 which lays great emphasis on each thing. So 6 says, and so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her first son. It's telling us she did this. No OBGYN, no help, no midwives, this teenage girl, and she brought forth her firstborn son. And the idea is she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, which were probably given to her by Elizabeth. Uh, She no doubt brought them with her. You don't find them in the field. And she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The manger, those of you who've been to Israel with this, is a stone feeding trough about this long and about that wide. It's hollowed out, usually limestone. It's not a little building with a thatched roof and neon lights. It is a feeding trough. She laid him in the manger. So this remarkable picture of the birth 
itself, Jehovah, putting on skin, coming in human flesh. And then it says this, because where it tells us that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, gains significance in verse 12. Let's read down. And there were in the same country, Bethlehem, shepherds, now they're abiding in the field. And it says, the, there's an article, keeping watch, very significant, over the flock by night. So there's a particular keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord then came to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is to all people. That's us here today. For unto you is born this day, very significantly, in the city of David. Um, it's interesting, we're told, Alfred Edersheim, and if you guys have the commentary on him, look it up, uh, the life and times of Jesus the Messiah, he was training to be a rabbi, and he, and he came to faith in Christ. He says that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem was a settled conviction. Equally so was the belief that he would be revealed from Migdal Eder, the tower of the flock. Migdal Eder was not the watchtower for ordinary flocks, which pastured in the barren uh, shepherd ground of Bethlehem, because the, the law was, if you were shepherd, you had to keep your sheep in the wilderness. The only sheep that were allowed to be close to the town, Bethlehem or Jerusalem, were the animals that were to be used in temple sacrifice. So... Um, It says, a passage in the Mishnah leads to the conclusion that the flocks which pastured there were destined for temple sacrifice, and accordingly, the shepherds who watched them were not ordinary shepherds. The Mishnah passage also leads us to infer that these flocks lay out there all year round because they're spoken of as being 30 days from Passover, which is the month of February. Now, I, I've read commentaries and through the years that said, well, you know, Christmas can't be December 25th because the shepherds were in the field with their flocks and there's no shepherd in the fields with their flocks in the wintertime. Somebody saw somebody write that somewhere and they all copied it through the centuries. The problem is, not for them, not for me, uh, I've been in the shepherd's fields in the end of November and December when it's cold, I've been there once when there was there was eight inches of snow in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, and the shepherds were in the fields there outside Bethlehem with their flocks. And all their flocks had wool coats on. They're not migratory animals. They don't head south in the winter. And they're there year-round. He says the Mishnah talks about the fact they were there and that the priest would go inspect them 30 days before Passover. So he says here, the tradition about Migdal Eder and the shepherds, the temples, flocks, and so forth, is too deeply significant to accept as coincidence. So we know that Jews were convinced that Messiah would come from Bethlehem when the wise men come to Herod and say, we've seen his star in the east. Where is he? 
Herod king, he heard these things. Herod, he was troubled. And when he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Messiah should be born. And they said unto him, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not that uh, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Now he's quoting from Micah chapter five, and it's actually fuller than that if you look at Micah five, verse two. It says, but thou, Bethlehem, important, Ephrathah, because there was a Bethlehem north of Jerusalem as well. There were two Bethlehems in Israel. This is Bethlehem, Ephrathah in the south, where David and his family had lived. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So the Micah is actually fuller, and it says here that is Bethlehem Ephrathah. Ephrathah, the the proper part of Ephrathah was east of Bethlehem, within Eusebius says within a Roman mile, and. Ephrathah is in the vicinity, the district of Migdal Eber. Here in Micah, the chapter before, chapter 4, verse 8, following on verse 7, it says, The Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth and forever. And thou, O tower of the flock, the Hebrew is Migdal Eber, and thou, Migdal Eber, Migdal is a tower, Tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, the kingdom, what he spoke of the verse before, even the first dominion. Uh, the, the Midrash taught that Messiah would first be proclaimed at Migdal Eder, the tower of the flocks. These shepherds are keeping watch over their flocks by night. There's a number of towers still there in the area. I've been there in the shepherd's fields east of Bethlehem. And they're the only towers in the area. We find Bethlehem in Ephrathah, the first time we find it in Genesis 35, when Rachel is dying by the side of the road, Jacob's wife, and she gives birth to Benjamin. And she dies in childbirth. And she calls him Benoi, the son of my sorrow. And Jacob says, no, he's going to be Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Isn't that interesting? And it says then that it was on the way to Ephrathah. And it was at the tower of Eber. Where Rachel calls her son, son of sorrow. And Jacob, Israel, calls him son of my right hand. There. We find it again in Ruth chapter 1. It tells us uh, that uh, Elimelech and his family who went over to Moab, Moab, they were Ephrathites. And as they're there, of course, uh, their, their sons get married in Moab to Moabite women. And uh, then 
Elimelech dies, his sons die, and they leave with Naomi, the two daughter-in-laws. And Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. And Ruth is the one who says, I'm, I'm going with. She says, no. She said, no, where you go, that's where I'll go and so forth. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And the family then, Ruth and Naomi, what's left of it, come back to Bethlehem Ephrathah. They're Ephrathites. Of course, you know the story. She ends up with Boaz. And they have Obed as their son, who has Jesse as his son, who has David the king. Three generations. The law said a Moabite was not allowed in the temple precincts for ten generations. David was the third generation from Ruth and is, is king of Israel. And he is born in this area of Bethlehem Ephrathah. And those fields on the east where the shepherds kept their flock is no doubt where he fought a lion and he fought a bear as he wrote some of the psalms that we love. And his family inherited that portion. And David is the one who set it aside as a place where sacrifices would be raised for the tabernacle, then the temple that was then operated under Solomon. So in that area, you have this place in the area of Ephrathus in Migdal, Eber, Eder, remarkably, um, Eusebius, one mile east of Bethlehem, Dr. Jurgen, it's probably Jurgen Bueller, International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, writes, Eusebius said the shepherd field were in Migdal, Eder. I'm getting somewhere, be patient. <laughs> and it was there that they watched from that tower the flocks where David did. The Mishnah again says these sacrifices were the, the animals raised there were temple sacrifices. The Talmud says that these sacrifices in particular, the Passover sacrifices were raised there, though other ones. Um, these shepherds in Luke served in the temple sacrifice system of the day. They weren't ordinary shepherds. No doubt they worked for the priest. And again, the Midrash saying, Migdal Eber, the revival, uh, the arrival of Messiah is first going to be proclaimed there. We're seeing that here with the angels that night. Here's Jesus born in the very place where thousands upon thousands of lambs had foreshadowed his coming. And there at the tower of the flocks, he's going to say the shepherds go in haste and find the babe. How did they do it fast? The, it's because in the towers that were there, the second story, they weren't, you know, 100 foot tall. They're probably about 15, 20 foot tall. And from the second level, you could watch the flocks. And these are temple flocks. We know there were lions and bears. David had to deal with that. But on the first level, there was normally a place where there were mangers. And what would happen there, and it gives significance to the experience that the shepherds had, rabbinic tradition tells us the priest would come several times a year, several priests from Jerusalem, from the temple, and they would inspect the lambs. Because the lambs had to be without spot or blemish, or they couldn't be sacrificed. 
And they had a racket going, by the way, under Annas. You would travel from other parts of the Roman world. You couldn't use Roman coinage because Caesar was on there. You had to exchange it for temple shekels. And they charge you a huge percentage in the exchange of the money. They were making money hand over fist there. And then if you brought an animal with, they would inspect it and find spots or blemish. Then you had to buy theirs from them at exorbitant prices that it didn't have a spot or a blemish. So when the priest came to Migdal Ebra in Ephrathah to the shepherds that kept the flocks there, and when they inspected the lambs, if they were without spot or blemish, they didn't want to make the two-mile journey up to Jerusalem because they could break a bone, they could get stuck with a thorn, they could get injured, they end up with a spot or a blemish. So the priest would inspect them and if they were without spot and blemish, they would wrap them in swaddling clothes and lay them in a manger, then to be carried up to Jerusalem for sacrifice. Talmud says particularly the Passover sacrifices there. Now you think of our passage. The angel of the Lord comes to these shepherds that are keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord came unto them and noticed the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid as we would be. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Messiah, Jehovah. And they're astounded as they hear that. And then he says, and this shall be literally the sign unto you, because they understood it, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Imagine. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass when they were gone, after probably one of the shepherds said, What was that all about? You know, the, the, they said to each other, Let us go and see, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which notice the Lord hath made known unto us. Savior, Messiah, Jehovah, which Jehovah hath made known unto us. And they came with haste. I mean, trouble finding, they knew. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. What was it like for those shepherds to get there? They had seen lambs wrapped to be carried to Jerusalem for the sacrifice. And here they come. And they stand around this stone feeding trough, this manger. And they look. There's a babe. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. Lying in a manger. There's a babe. Savior. Messiah. Jehovah. Imagine their impression. Imagine. 
Mary hears everything that the angels had told them. She keeps these things. She ponders them in her heart. Joseph is thinking of the house and lineage of David. I can't believe this is happening in my life. The shepherds go praising, jumping up and down, telling everybody about what happened. People are in wonder what this is all about. They know they were temple shepherds. And look, as, as we look at this scene, remember, this is in very difficult circumstances. Mary was in her third trimester. They were living under Roman occupation. They had no First Amendment rights. You couldn't say whatever you want in Rome without getting crucified. They had no Second Amendment rights. Nobody was sleeping with a sword on their nightstand. And yet, Paul tells us in Galatians, they came in the fullness, that Jesus came in the fullness of time. This is the world that the father let his son come into. A world that was crushed under the heel of Rome. And as Mary and Joseph no doubt felt very threatened. You know, the angel said, Mary, he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. You know, and then the angel had to tell Joseph, don't divorce your wife, keep her. You know, this is what's going on. Calls name Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. They knew they had a special responsibility towards this child. All of a sudden they hear that she's got to get on a donkey and ride 90 miles to Bethlehem. Because some little Caesar somewhere, God pulled the string and he said, let all the world be taxed. You know, he left off with the pizzas for a minute, little Caesar. And, and the hardship, you know, and in this hardship, where's God? Everything seems like it's out of control. How can this world we're living in be governed by God? Look what's going on. I, I, I have the, the babe here that the angel talked to me about. How can this be? How could God let this happen? You see, but as they arrive, they realize, wait, prophecy spoke to us about these things. Though thou be small, Bethlehem Ephrathah, among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth he who is to govern my people, even him whose goings forth have been from everlasting. They realize, yes, the city of David. He's going to sit on the throne of his father David. That's what Gabriel said. And then the shepherds affirming all that. No doubt great encouragement to them in a world that seemed out of control were these prophecies about the son that Mary gave birth to. And I think in the very same way, you know, John the Baptist pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. This Sunday we're in Revelation chapter 5, and we see in the midst of the elders, in the midst of the thrones, in the midst of time and eternity, a lamb with the marks of slaughter upon it. And for you and I, in this world where Caesar's ruling and it seems out of control, prophecy is the one thing you and I have still that speaks to us of the fact that God is fulfilling his will around the world right now. All the chess players are being arranged on the board. And in all the insanity, 
the word of God speaks above it and says, when you see these things, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Right? So prophecy, again, is so important to us in these days. I think as you guys go, you have friends, relatives, first of all, they think you're nuts for going to church. I think you're crazy for singing. You know, you're going to, you know, but look, understand there's fear. Understand there's, you know, all of these things. Understand there's, there's real virus. Understand all that. Understand this, more importantly. You have something to share with them that will have a more dramatic effect on their lives than COVID ever could. You have the vaccination or an eternal virus called sin. And it's only again as God's people turn our face towards the Lamb of God that we sense relief in all of this. It's only as we remember that little babe wrapped in swaddling clothes like a lamb for the sacrifice was Savior, Messiah, Jehovah, that he came and put on human skin. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And here we sit today, forgiven, washed by the blood of this little lamb, cleansed, destined for another world. And the world we live in is in panic and it needs to hear the truth. you know. And here we are. We know what Christmas is about, right? It's way different than we thought it was when we were little or kids or before we were saved. Here we are, we know the truth about it all. So I want to encourage you as we as we continue to worship now, it's a great time to be together and go over these passages we're familiar with. Let's lift our voices and our hearts, all of our hearts to Jesus. Let's forget about everything going on around us on the horizontal and let's embrace the vertical in a fresh way. Amen? Amen.